Now sin, somebody said under grace you sin more. No, that's not the objective. Grace is still attached to holiness. Grace's objective is holiness. Jesus's objective is holiness. Titus 2 says, you know, under the grace of God, he'll teach you to live a righteous, sound, sober life. So when somebody says, well, you know, I used to sleep around with three prostitutes, but now that I'm under grace, I sleep around with 20 prostitutes. Well, I can tell you your problem now. And what is that? You need to be saved. That's not, you're not going to sin more after you get under the grace of God and it's teaching you and the Holy Ghost is changing your desire. When you get born again under the grace of God, the Holy Spirit's taking away old want-tos and giving you new want-tos. And if that's not happening, then it didn't take. If that's not happening, maybe you were not in the faith in the first place. I don't know what y'all did in the prayer room, but the most important thing is the transformation that takes place. What, 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 are, we, what are we talking about? You know, you don't sit up there and, you know, somebody says, well, you know, I'm doing much more sin now that I'm under grace. Well, some didn't have, what happened in the prayer room? Well, I said what they said. Yeah, but did you mean it? What you, what you mean? I don't, what y'all say? It didn't take. Were you ever in the faith in the first place? Because this grace works. And the Holy Spirit is successful and he doesn't fail. And he'll change you from the inside. And he'll take the taste out of your mouth. He'll take the desire that, that would always bring you to these crazy points and he'll do something different. That's what grace does. That's what grace does. You know, you'll learn later on that, you know, even in the midst of stupid things, that's how powerful grace is. But it's not like you do that so you can prove how powerful grace is. <laughs> You know, I'm going to go sleep with 25 prostitutes so I can prove how powerful grace is. Because the, the consequence of it is, man, what, is, what are those decisions doing to you? You're trying to make it about God. What are those decisions doing to you? Sin is a non-issue where God is concerned. Hebrews 9, 28, look at the New Living Translation. Hebrews 9, 28, the Living Translation. Sin is a non-issue where God is concerned. Not that he justifies sin. I mean, why would Jesus be for something that he came to die for? He died for our sins. The answer to sin was grace, not the law. Now look what he says here. So also Christ died once for all times as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Now why is he not coming again to deal with our sins? Because he's already dealt with it. He's already dealt with it. He's dealt with your past, your present, your future sins. My future sins? Yeah, all of your sins were in the future when he died for it. But we, 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 we keep making that the classic central idea of Christianity. Why? Because we, we, don't, we don't really understand 
the, the, the place of the Holy Spirit in all of this and the power of Jesus and the depth of the grace of God working in people. And that means we're going to have to not be afraid to lose control. So far, what the law does is law puts control over people by the law, religion, and self-righteousness are really the same. And as long as you, you got to be careful not to become so self-righteous that you condemn other people for what they do and not see what you do. <laughs> people want to follow leaders who have been through something. I don't get into those leaders who are, you know, I, I never drank coffee and I ain't never spoke a word of profanity and I ain't never did nothing. I don't even look at my naked body when I get out the shower. I don't, I don't do nothing. Well, I'm like, well, bro, what you gonna tell me? <laughs> but you have done something. You are now self-righteous. And self-righteousness is unrighteousness. And Jesus was harder on self-righteous people than he was on unrighteous people. So we need to just kill that. And that's, the church is inundated with self-righteousness. It's people comparing themselves with other people to say I'm better than you because you did what you did, but at least I didn't do that because we've come up with our own rating system for sin. Adultery is a 25, lying is a 10, and, and being angry at a waitress is a three. No, it's not. It's all sin. It's all sin. And everybody's one Jesus away from hell. And if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be there yourself. So how do you stand up in self-righteousness and beat the tar out of somebody who missed the mark? You know how Paul corrected people who sinned? He told them who they were and what they had. When they could, were committing sex acts in, in church, he said, he said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Man, who you are and what you have. When they were suing each other in the church, he said, do you not know that you will one day judge the angels? Who you are and what you have. Who you are and what you have. And what you're looking for is you're looking for people to acknowledge what I did was wrong, that was a bad decision, and I recognize that and I turn away from that. Yep. But what we want to do, you know, we're going to sit you down for two years and call it restoration. That's punishment. It's not restoration. What you restoring? The Bible talks about and, you know, there, there, there are lots of differences. This is so much deeper than what I have time to talk about. I mean, if I got somebody who's offending, who breaking the law in church, you know, touching kids and, and sleeping around all the time, I, I may have to move him out a little bit. I may have to customize some stuff to he say he understand. I want to see if he understand. Mm -hmm. But most likely, he's going to go to jail most likely. <laughs> You're not going to touch 10 kids and and stay in a deacon place. You, you broke the law. Yeah. I'll show mercy where God wants me to show mercy, but if you don't recognize what you did and change it and not willing to get help to change it, 
then you leave me no other choice. I got to call somebody on you. Amen. If you're, if you're beating your wife and we find out you're beating your wife, I'm not going to say wife, go back to your husband. He, he realizes what he's done. And the whole time she's saying, well, he said that before. <laughs> That's how I got the other black eye. <laughs> nah. Yeah, I know he acknowledged it, but we need to ease back in here to see if all that is authentic. So you see what I'm saying? There's a difference between restoration and punishment, and yet these are conversations that we need to have so that we can understand what is the overall objective, and then that begins to tailor the type of discipline that needs to be administered, not only to protect the people that were offended by it, but also to deal with the person who had the issue as well. We try to preserve all of it. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But at, as a leader, you have to figure out, you don't just sit there and say, oh, the grace of God take care of it. I'm saying that because there's some people who hear the grace message and they think, well, the grace of God take care of it. And so that means to be passive and and, and not to deal with things that you see. You're leaders. You, you deal with it with much grace, but you still, Paul, go in the New Testament, you see Paul deal with all kinds of different stuff. He didn't sit back and just look at it. But the overall objective is, can we get you a place to recognize what you did was wrong? And can we help to make sure that that is authentic and show you how to get your actions to line up with your, uh, with your decision? And please understand something. God still loves you and you'll still go to heaven. Now, you may have a jail ministry, but you'll still go to heaven. You'll still go to heaven and God still loves you. Sin offends in this horizontal realm. Sin, sin destroys relationships. Okay? But vertically, you're going you're gonna to always be all right with God. And he'll forgive you. But now certain people in that relationship who were affected by it, they may not forgive you. They have a choice to decide whether they want to forgive you or not, and, and that's okay. Interesting conversation that we need to have one day about that. Let me finish this up. Uh, go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Excuse me, what was it, 8 and 13? 8 and, 8 and 12, yeah. 8 and 12. So he says, first part of this is, you know, um, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Can you receive the mercy of God? Will your heart condemn you? And even if your heart condemns you, the Bible says God's great in your heart because he already knows everything about you. But if your heart condemns you not, then have you confidence towards God? And the issue is, do you have confidence towards God? Do you have confidence towards his mercy? And what he said in this new agreement, that's a part of it. Do you have confidence that God will um, show mercy to your unrighteousness? And then the second part of this is, he says, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He has chosen to not remember your sins anymore. That's powerful. The new covenant says, I'm not gonna re remember your sin anymore. The new covenant says, we're going to take the sin meter and turn it off. Oh, that's so good to me when I first heard that. He'll take the sin meter and shut it off, which means there's nothing else keeping up with your sin. 
Romans 4 talks about that too. He says, there is no more imputation of sin, which means it's not being charged to your account. But there's a reason why he can turn the meter off and there's a reason why he won't charge sin to your account. What's that reason? It is because he has charged all of our sins to the body of Jesus Christ, which makes Jesus so awesome. And this is why you want to love him because all of our sins have been placed on the body of Jesus Christ. How can you not worship and love and praise him? Because if it wasn't for him, you, we'd be a mess. Look at this. He's taking it off. And God's not going to dishonor his son by charging you with sin. Do you understand? That's a dishonor. If God were to change his mind, and charge you. See, that's why we have the covenant. He's not going to change his mind. That's powerful. He's not going to change his mind where that is concerned. I don't think when I hear that, oh man, I can have my cake and eat it too. I think, dude, what can I do to show my gratitude? He has forgiven me for so much. What can I do to show my gratitude? That's what I want to be doing. The guy that goes and says, well, you know, if he did all that, then I might as well just go and do some other. I said, something's going on with your heart. Something's happening with your heart. You, you, some, we need to counsel you to make sure. What devil didn't leave when you, when you got born again? Some, something hung around there, you know. Your sins and your, no, no, you got to believe that, that he's not remembering my sins. What happens if you think he is remembering your sin? You're going to go back to the law and try to do something to make him not remember your sins and you're gonna get back into condemnation and performance-based Christianity and it just, it goes all over again. It, it's, it's like the veil all over again. It's, it's, this, it's, this, um, it's this situation where you just think, well, I'm condemned, I'm not enough. I'm not enough, I'm, I'm obviously not enough to, to be able to do this and that's what you end up. It takes faith to believe Verse 12, and he says, if you can do this, if you can do verse 12, then I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. I'm just asking you to believe in the mercy and in the forgiveness that God has already given towards us. Imagine what happens as a preacher. You have to deal with guilt and shame. It's, to, it's there to try to rob you of your called destiny. As a leader, how can I prevent you from arriving at that place that God is expecting you to meet him at that place? You're so full of guilt and shame and condemnation, you can't even focus on getting to where you need to be. And now you've taken it to the extreme. You know, emotions are a gift from God. Uh, if I had time, I'd show you in Deuteronomy 28 that they were judged because they didn't have the good emotions towards God. A lot of people don't see that because they didn't have the joy and, and the peace towards God and they were judged for that. So you have an opportunity to have these emotions towards God that will bless you and be a benefit for everybody else. But what preachers try to do is become emotionless and now we're afraid to develop relationships with anybody because we've been hurt so many times. You know, oh, look at what I did for this person and they left the church. Dude, don't, don't get into that. Oh, man, I did this for them and I did. And they start quoting it. I did this for them. I, I bought my house. I let them live. And look, psh, they got up and they left me. 
No, that's when you take authority over your emotions and say, I'm not going to miss out on one of the most biggest blessings around, and that's, that's the power and the benefit that comes through relationship and relating with other people. Last one. Thirteen. <laughs> you said that like, oh, I got a lot of work to do, man. God dang. Oh, I got to start all over again. <laughs> We've been there with you, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. You think this is something. Wait till you hear Taffy in a minute. Like, oh, gone. Your husband going to be saying, oh. Watch this, verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and wax old is ready to vanish away. Um, look at this in the Amplified, and, and I want to show one more scripture. I think I got time. Show one more scripture, and then I'm done. I'm take a little break. Uh, he says, when God speaks of a new covenant or agreement, a new agreement. We, are, we have a new agreement. We have a new agreement. He makes the first agreement obsolete or out of use. Well, doesn't that make sense? If he made a new agreement, you tear up the old one. Now for us, I'm not necessarily saying tear, there's so much I can learn from, from the law. There are several places in the, in the New Testament you will see Paul referring to the law in certain teaching points because he's looking at the overall objectives and professional, uh, uh, overall objective and the perfection of what things could be. Now, we don't live by it, but we can certainly learn. We can learn from the law, but we don't live by it. I, I think it's pretty fascinating when I want to know something. I still do this about dietary things. I ask God, why didn't you want people to eat shellfish? And then you go check it out medically, and you're like, boy, this is toxic. I was like, oh, okay. Well, why didn't you want people to do that? I, I, I examined the dietary laws, and if you examine some of the dietary, not, not that you, listen, this is not about putting yourself in bondage, but because the law was perfect and it was flawless. And I don't claim to try to be perfect and flawless, but there's so much I can learn from it. So much I can learn from it. So you have to be careful because under the law, there was a law about moles. I have moles on my face. So, you know, if I live by the perfection of the law, then I should not be up here talking to you about the word of God, breaking the word of God because I have too many moles on my face. You understand what I'm saying? How you can use it to benefit yourself in understanding some things about the perfection of God. He makes the first one obsolete out of use and what is out of use and annulled because of age is right for disappearing or disappearance and to be dispensed with all together. That's powerful, isn't it, man? That's powerful to know that you've been given this agreement and what it has done for us. Now, last one. Let's look at um, Colossians 2.13. And for time's sake, I'll look at this in the Amplified. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Now, watch how this all sets together here. And you who were dead in trespasses 
and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, uncircumcision didn't have a covenant of your flesh, your sensuality, your sinful carnal nature, carnal or by the senses, you know, uh, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely, freely, so I freely forgive, I freely receive my forgiveness, having freely forgiven us of all of our transgression. I'm not working to try to get forgiveness. I'm not sweating to try to get forgiveness. He get what he gives to you free, you receive free. All right. Verse 14. Having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, the bond, with its legal decrees and demands. See, the law of Moses was demands, demands, demands. The new covenant is supply, supply, supply. And so he says, it's, it, it, he, he took it, the note, and, and with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, it stood against us, hostile to us. He said, this note with its regulations, this decrees, its demands, it's talking about the law there. Look what he did. He set aside, he cleared completely out of our way. How? By nailing it to his cross. Now what happened when he took it out of the way and nailed it to his cross? Verse 15, God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them and triumphing over them and him in the cross. Here's what happened. When he, when he took care of the law and nailed it to the cross, he disarmed principalities. Demons have to have the law in order to be able to enforce certain things in your life. And when he nailed it to the cross, he stripped them of their power and their authority and they can no longer do what they used to do over your life. No longer. And if they show up, you remind them, boy, you naked. You have no authority except that which I give to you and I ain't giving you none. Amen. The difference now between the agreement of the old and the agreement of the new. We are ministers of the new. That's what we've been called to do. We're ministers of the new. Now you're gonna find, you know, I'm gonna do everything within my power to continue to teach this throughout the year. Um, the Lord oh, a few years ago told me, he says, I need you to go back to Nigeria several times a year. And I said, I thought we were through in Nigeria. He says, nope. And the deal was he puts it on my heart. Then the doors open and every door has been the, I mean with precision, precisely where I was supposed to go and where I was supposed to be. Well, I have one more trip left this year. And, you know, I just believe that, you guys understand, if I go in there and just drop this little one bomb here without taking it through the progression to get to that point, then somebody will stand up and say, oh no, we don't receive that. But if you do it this way, guess what happens? It's like, all right, so what choice do you have? You're gonna, you're gonna choose very clearly to teach people performance-based Christianity that brings them to shame, guilt, and condemnation, or you're gonna teach the agreement that brings them to Jesus and gives them liberty. So when you say you preach the gospel, I've got to ask like Paul, what gospel you preach? There's only one gospel. And it's what, what Paul preached. And if you're preaching any other gospel except that which Paul preached, let him be accursed. Now be careful, men and women of God, 
because sometimes what looks like God is only the devil with a costume on. That's the scripture, wolves in sheep clothing. And what's real big doesn't necessarily mean successful. That's all I'm saying. So, I'm done. Huh? I have, um, I have 15, 20 minutes left. You want to do some questions on this session or wait? Now? Okay. All right, guys, it's on y'all. If you have any questions, you can ask them now. If not... Is it going to be a good book? Yes, but you know, connecting this with uh, what we learned yesterday, uh, I was trying to re recollect the term that's being used to describe what this is all about. Cardinal School of Theology in California is very you know, big on process of theology that we talked about uh, redemption a little bit yesterday, but seeing you today. What's your question now? Would you give me access to write about this? Would I give you access to write about it? Yes. Yeah, if God told you to. Well, God has put me in there. That's my, that's what I do. So. Yeah. I, I think it would be interesting. I mean, uh, in fact, I don't know if you got those books here. Uh, what's, what's the title there? Pastor Smith wrote a book about the 100 lessons he learned from his spiritual father. And it's a book about a journey that goes all the way back to 1987, 88. And it, it tells some, oh, some pretty amazing stories of that journey that reveals things that people have never heard. And so we, we asked all our spiritual sons to get a copy of it because it gives them an opportunity to be a part of something that they were not there to be a part of at that time and to kind of open the door where you can see things you couldn't see or understand at that time. It was, it's, it's kind of a walk. Now this is 
uh, several volumes. This is just volume one. But at the end of it, it'll be about 100 lessons that, you know, he is still working on and doing what needs to be done. But, you know, I, I, you know my, my advice to everybody is I'm learning that I have to be very careful before I judge a situation with not knowing the having a depth of understanding of where it comes from. Because it could be where a person thinks one thing, and that's why I love these forums so much. These allow us to sit and to say, well, where did that thinking come from? And then as you go through the scripture and you look at it, and you look at it like Sunday I did a teaching on the Abrahamic covenant that led us all the way down to um, there is no way that the man can be special anymore, that the woman is now special. So if I said something like that and you didn't walk through the journey, you'd be like, I don't agree with that. Yeah, but you don't know the journey. Right. Or we also said that Jewish people are no longer the specialized anointed group anymore because of Galatians chapter three. If you be in Christ, there's no more Jew or Greek. There's no more male or female. Um, but it was the journey that got some people to the point where they could understand where this came from. When, you know, Taffy's getting ready to share about biblical equality. And if you don't know the journey of biblical equality, you'll just think it's an attack on your manhood. And you, you really, you, you'll think like, what the heck? Especially in the Nigeria uh, culture, to hear something like that, you'll be like, oh no. So now you're gonna be faced with, am I going to live my life based on the culture while I ignore the word of God that is the foundation of my belief or am I gonna choose to do it because the word says to do it and allow the word to change my culture instead of allowing the culture to try to change the word of God. So this becomes vital and these sessions like this are vital and I, I absolutely love doing them because it gives me the time and the space and the comfort to take you through the journey. And what I've learned is before I'm, before, before I'm so quick to disagree with a man or a woman or a revelation I heard, I'm thinking I, I, I can't comment because I don't know the journey or I need to even find out what the journey is and then walk down that road. And it sounds like you've been walking down the road of journey <laughs> to, to do that. And you know, you, you really seem like you were enlightened this morning. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I want people to write books and produce stuff to get the place filled with grace-based thinking. Hermeneutics is something that we started this whole thing out with. And we had to talk about how to study the Bible and the principles of how to put it together the importance of context, not only chapter context, book context, but New Testament context versus Old Testament context. And you will find that the application of a scripture is based on the context that it appears in. You don't need to look it up in the Webster Dictionary. You define it based on context. And so there's a lot to this. And I like what Pastor Smith says, this thing's like an onion. It has a lot of layers to it. You peel it, you peel it, you still got something to peel. We've been peeling this thing, what, going on almost 10 years. We've been, and, and we still hadn't gotten to the core. We've just been, 
and, and it amazes me. We just got out of a grace convention and we thought we reached the, the epitome of what grace is and no sooner than we thought, and it happens every year. Then Holy Spirit takes us to another depth of understanding and, and I don't know when it's gonna end. And I'm thinking like, dear God, is this, where is the end to this? And just when I, just when I think we're there, it seems like the onion grew overnight and it's got more layers to it. And it's the most, and here's why, here's what I believe. It's that sign right up there, unveiling Jesus. Well, what's the depth? What's the height? What's the width? How do you do that? He's, he's unlimited. How do, you, how do you get to the end of Jesus? This is, this is something. So, yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, any, any other questions? Yes. What was that? What was the last part? Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have to have the spirit. They're not rightly, first of all, they're not rightly dividing the word. That's not exact, that's not a, at all what happened with Ananias and Fire. Go back and read it again. We assume that Ananias and Fire were a part of the covenant. Where in the world did it identify and said that they were born again and, and, and a part of that covenant? And so we say, look at what God did with these saved people. There's nowhere that identified that they were saved in the first place. We have to make sure we understand what was 
going on before the cross and what was going on after the cross. Not necessarily what Jesus said in the red, because in the Gospels, you're not going to have to divide that properly between what Jesus said as a prophet under the law, because while Jesus was walking on the planet, the law was still valid. For example, the rich young ruler. The question the rich young ruler asks is, what do I do that I might have eternal life? And Jesus showed us the problem. He says, you keep calling me good and not calling me God. So you hadn't received me as the source. So I'm gonna answer your question based on what you asked. What you have to do under the law is you gotta keep the commandments. Then they asked the same question the next. What do we do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved in your house. What's the difference? It's what happened before the cross, keep the law. That's what you do. What happened after the cross, Jesus has already done everything, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So rightly dividing the word means also dividing before the cross and after the cross. What was true before the cross may not be true after the cross. It's gonna be a different situation. Forgiveness before the cross and after the cross were different things. Uh, love before the cross and after the cross, different. Obedience before the cross and after the cross, different. So if you don't rightly divide the word of truth by dividing what was true before the cross, what was true after the cross, people will then begin to try to use that to try to bring fear into people. But now here's the problem. If you're trying to govern people by fear and control, you've already spelt your end. Eventually, people are not gonna respond well under fear and control that brings on the bondage and guilt and shame and all of that. And that's why you look 10 years and you got new congregations because you wear them out and <laughs> they quit. Because nobody wants to keep coming and hearing that they're going to go to hell. Here's another one. If you don't tithe, you'll be cursed with a curse. We've been delivered from the curse of the law. And so there are people who are holding on with their deal life. Now, here's the, here's the promise. There's an evil day that's coming for everybody, for every preacher. And it's going to show and reveal whether or not your ministry was built on gold, silver, or precious stone, or wood, hay, and stubble. If it was built on wood, hay, and stubble, you're going to burn up and we won't see you no more. But if it's built on, 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 on gold and silver and precious stone, then you'll be able to survive. These are just self-righteous people who are trying to control people that the gospel grace revolution is going to hopefully set people free from that. I understand what it's like to be under that control. I was under that control. But I got out. And I ain't never going back no more. And that's why we got to get the gospel of grace out so people can hear about it. So we ain't got to go back no more. That's why our job is so important. So yeah, well, I'm aware that that fear stuff goes out and people are saying that stuff and I'm not going to really get involved in debating with people and stuff like that. I think the best thing we can do is preach the truth. And so the Holy Spirit, you know, it takes a revelation to get this grace and we got to be gracious people while we're ministering the grace of God so that we don't demonstrate the wrong things to people. So grace people are gracious people. So we'll be gracious to, you know, uh, you know, Jesus called down fire. I mean, uh, uh, um, what's his name? Elijah called down fire before the cross. Then Jesus came in and said, boy, calm down. Well, what you doing? He was going towards this grace of God. We're not going, this is not how we're going to do this thing right now. 
So there's a part of that study and principles of the Word of God that, 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 that's so, so very important in what we're trying to teach people. And so stick with the, with the gospel of grace, man, and Amen. you're going to see all kinds of things. I've heard all kinds of stuff, boy, so stick with it. Is that it? Pastor Farah. Um, thank you, Pastor This is just um, a request for help. You started this by talking about negative emotions, and then you talked about um, dealing with our emotions, bringing them under submission, and um, you talked about relationships, you talked about people you've held in the past, you've done this, you've done that, and then certain things happen. And they um, do something wrong, they leave, or they do something wrong. And you shouldn't allow that to rob you of the blessings of relationships. And I just want, I know you and Pastor Tucker must have gone through this. How did you deal with it? I mean, there's no chapter and verse in the Bible to teach about it. But when you were alone, how did you deal with it? How did you get to the place of? Fullness where those events still scar you, where your emotions are healthy, and you can think about those things and not have pain or not have a bit of sorrow. Or you can get to the place where you're not reluctant to relate with people based on what you like. How did you survive it? You, you cannot allow your circumstances to govern your emotions. We harbor love in our heart, but we've got to make sure that we don't harbor uh, bad emotions and circumstances. In other words, I live by faith and not my circumstances. So eventually I got to go back to love. <laughs> I got to go back to communing with the Holy Spirit. I got to go back to this grace message. And, you know, for me, emotions are real. And, and I think you have to ask yourself, you know, there's a circumstance. Am I going to allow the circumstance to govern my emotion? Or here's the word. Am I going to allow the word to govern my emotions? You have to keep choosing. You have to keep choosing every day this over the circumstance. Bad circumstances happen. Most of the time we just think, well, automatically you're supposed to have bad emotions because of bad circumstances. And we yield to that a lot of times. But it doesn't happen automatically. You have authority over your emotions, so choose. You know, when I have good circumstances, I'm gonna have joy and peace. When I have bad circumstances, I'm gonna have joy and peace. And so I have to keep choosing this. I've gotta keep choosing this. Go to bed, wake up, choose this. Go to bed, wake up, choose this. Bad circumstances happen. And it's a, it's a challenge for you to make a choice. I gotta choose this, I gotta choose this. I have found that no matter what the situation is, I can always go to love and it's always the answer for anything that goes on. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. If I choose to walk in love, number one. Number two, if I choose to commune with the Holy Spirit, help me. Number three, if I can make sure that I can receive what the grace of God has made available in my life, that I am the righteousness of God and, and what I have and who I am. Every day, you have to, you're gonna have a choice every day. Let the circumstances govern my emotions and then when my emotions are there, then sin is conceived. 
or let the word of God govern my emotions. And then I have joy and peace. That's a choice. And it's a choice you have to make every day. Or you'll let your emotions from the circumstance start governing your life away from peace and joy. Every day. Every day. There's, there's, there's no magic answer. It's every day I've got to choose. I know the circumstances there. Now, am I going to allow that to give me these bad emotions that if I get that, then some sin's going to come out of it? Some sin, some negative word, some bad this. Or am I going to say, here's the Bible. I choose this even in the midst of that circumstance. Because, man, if you can govern those emotions, I think that sin is found within emotions, bad negative emotions. I think once sin is there that there's some, I mean, uh, emotions are bad, then sin is, is conceived right then. And if you can get that in a place where it needs to be, take authority over it. They're real. You know, we, we love great emotions, but we can't live there all the time. <laughs> we can't live there. Happy, can't, can't live there all the time. Oh, I had an experience with the Holy Ghost. Awesome. Can't live there all the time. And so what, what's the next circumstance that's going to come up tomorrow? Good or bad? What's the next circumstance that's come up next week? Good or bad? What's the circumstance that happened 20 years ago? Good or bad? So when are you going to decide, I live by faith and not by circumstances? That's how you're going to do it. You're going to do it for the rest of your life until you see Jesus. You have to harness these emotions. That means to control it, to have authority over it. They're there and they're real and you have to harness them. That's the key. That's the key to a whole lot of things. You're just, you just admitted it. <laughs> that's, that's what everybody, a lot of preachers go through a lot of stuff. There have been things I've been so afraid of. Oh my God, you're telling me to do this. I have no idea how this is going to be done. But I'm telling you, we don't live by those emotions. We live by what he said and not what we see. But it's a choice. And one day you'll be better at making that choice than you will other days. But after everything is over with, the emotions don't get to govern your life. The word does. Does that help? Okay. Salvation very quickly. And that's real, too. I so appreciate that. is going to be talking some about that, but there's a difference between boundaries and throwing laws at your kids. You know, yeah. there's a difference between showing them how to live and condemning them because of how they live. Huh. Uh, condemnation is, um, it's, it's real. It's, it's, I did a lot of that with my kids and didn't even realize what was happening. 
But condemnation is all about you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. And we ask ourselves, as parents, are we saying that to our children? You're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. And um, so I think you'll understand once she begins to talk about some of those things, but they're boundaries. Um, but those boundaries don't have to be condemnation and it doesn't have to be, well, here's the rule right here, but let me talk to you about the benefits of doing it this way. Again, like Paul, let me tell you who you are and let me tell you what you have. Amen. Good. Okay. Pastor Mike, this is going to be the last one before, before we take a break. Thank you so much, sir, for uh, the teaching. I would like to start my uh, comment from Pastor uh, Ferrari's uh, question. Uh, while she was asking it, uh, I could relate, you know, easily with that question. And God had helped me, you know, in being able to go through that. And uh, my wife was just confirming, you know, uh, that too. And that uh, being able, you know, uh, to successfully, you know, go through that without any pain, without any hurt. But I found it difficult to articulate the words in explaining what to do. So I just want to quickly say that I really love, you know, how you've been able to not just help, her, help me, and I believe quite a lot of us, in putting those words together as to what you do in that situation. What's the what, situation? The situation she explains uh, concerning... What was the, the situation? Uh, I never got that. Emotion, these uh, strong feelings, emotions that mm -hmm. leads to sin. And From the past. Handle, yeah. handle that, that you keep walking in love. Uh, you pray, you allow the grace of God to you know, just help you through. And as long as you are able to recognize that... Uh, that's just what you need to do uh, in order not to allow that to work in you. And uh, you're not living by those circumstances of consciousness, but your faith in God, and it will really see you through. I just want to say that I truly love that explanation because I, even though I know it's something easily, I will just say the grace of God has been helping in being able to, you know, go through that, but I cannot articulate and put those, you know, words together. But I will say that in this teaching, I've come to see uh, that in trying to summarize this uh, subject of grace, looking at the epistemology and the etymology of grace, the word of grace itself, you mentioned something so profound that you cannot mix the two. Mm -hmm. And that really is still what I consider to be the critical issue especially when you also mentioned uh, your work in Nigeria. I got fascinated because I'm from Nigeria, I'm in Nigeria, and at best, what, from my own estimation, that what we have truly is real mixture. I've not seen truly what we can call pure or undiluted grace or Jesus plus nothing. Other than what our father in the Lord, Pastor Bank, has been doing with us, you know, in Nigeria. And of course, I won't even say that we are the minority. 
I would rather say minority is even a good word <laughs> to use. <laughs> I mean, maybe we are just an infinitesimally small you know, portion. So my question now is, I, I could see that the work there is really huge. Okay, really, really huge. Then how can we really synergize to bring you know, about this? Uh, I, I know you have a meeting in Nigeria, uh, so you mentioned it, I think with House on the Rock or so, I'm beginning to see the billboard before I left Nigeria. Ah, but I, I, I'm still wondering, because this problem of mixture, you, it's just, the same person, you hear today, Grace, you feel like jumping up that, yeah, this guy got the message. The next time, you know, so it's about law again. So you begin to wonder, that is it at you know, there are whims or accomplices or at convenience. I mean, maybe it's convenient to talk about grace at that moment. So that really, so the question is how can we really break the ice and, you know, get the tenacity, the continuity in, you know, getting this message to the ground. There's quite a, work, a lot of work to do in this aspect, sir. Again, I want to remind us <laughs> that we need to be gracious. We need to be gracious because we didn't get it. Look how long it took us before we got it. So the last thing we want to do now is to become a tad arrogant in what we know versus Paul saying he got it by revelation. And we need to begin to believe God and begin to pray towards that, that the revelation of grace can be caught. And then secondly, the opportunities I have to share with other guys in the ministry. Some of them will receive it right away. Some of them won't, whether it's a tape or a book or something that will open their eyes to it. And then, Lord, what's my part? What do, what do I do to, you know, what do you want me to do? Because, you know, we can sit up and come up with a strategy, but if it's not born out of the heart of God, it's just a waste of sweat. Uh, but this is going to be by the Holy Ghost. Uh, this grace revolution is something that's prophetic. Uh, the set time of favor, uh, profusely abounding towards us. I mean, this is, this is going to happen. It's, it's not going to be like it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. And it is happening right now. Um, my part was to just turn on a dime. Uh, that God had already dealt with other people about me before he dealt with me. And said, if you would begin to become a student of grace, then I'll use your footprint and platform to influence other people to begin to, to do that. And I, I tell you, I'm, I'm never going back, but you know, we talk about, you know, we talk about, man, we were, how come we couldn't see this? It was right there. It'll, it'll, it'll happen. It's, it's gonna happen. I don't believe I've been spending all this time in Nigeria the last two to three years for nothing at all. Seeds have been planted. I recognize when I leave what they're saying. They don't think I do. I mean, I, last couple of years, I went a couple of places like, oh, I don't agree with that. You know, and then they smile when they get there. I'm going to still be talking about it <laughs> until they do it because that, that's my part. But I want to make sure that I don't come off arrogant about the revelation, but I want to be gracious so that people can see grace and not just hear about it. And that's going to be the difference. It's, it's the living epistle that we can show them. 
that'll be greater even than the written epistle. And that comes by the Holy Spirit. So I'm dependent on the Holy Ghost. I'm dependent on him and he'll use us all to, to do what needs to be done. Yeah. All right, Taffy. All Amen. Right. I'm done. Let's, let's thank God for this second. Praise God. Amen. All right. We are going to take a break and we're going to be back here at 1230 to receive from Pastor Taffy Dollar. Amen.